Hey dudes, this is The Big Game. I'm your host, Justin Hargett. This week is a bit of a bonus episode. Up front, we're going to talk about Manchester United's 1-0 victory over Tottenham Hotspur in the game that kicked off the start of the English Premier League season. While the rest of the episode, we will be recapping what happened around the league, from Chelsea's 2-2 draw with Swansea City, and a bucket full of goals from Alan Pardew's Crystal Palace. Joining me on the show today for his third appearance is Brandon Kelly. Brandon is the host of the Always Cheating podcast, which looks at the fantasy sports aspects of the Premier League. Check it out at alwayscheating.com or subscribe on iTunes. This is a blockbuster of an episode, so hang on to your butts. Hey Brandon, welcome back to The Big Game. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me back. Always great to be on The Big Game. Yeah, and I'm glad to finally have you on to talk about what I would consider your, uh, your, your, your league of expertise, which is the English Premier League. I've had you on twice in the past for, for Champions League, but now we can, we can really you know, open up and, and, and crack that cranium of yours. Absolutely. I actually know the names of all the players on the teams. <laughs> I'll actually have opinions uh, sometimes based on fact. Excellent. So this should be good. I don't, I don't usually have those. Mine are just kind of opinions based on feelings. Yeah. I guess it's ludicrous to say you have a podcast that's at all based on fact. Those don't really exist. <laughs> uh, so let's, today we're here to talk about the opening, opening game of the Premier League weekend, which was a, a tasty-seeming matchup between two you know, top-flight, traditionally top-flight clubs and two clubs that finished uh, in the top... I think they finished within the top six uh, last season, Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur. This was, uh, I, I was really surprised that these two teams have so radically transformed in style just in the past two to three seasons. Um, and and I, I mentioned that because I was so impressed with the way that Tottenham came into this game. And for those first 15 or 20 minutes, they just looked composed and fluid, pacey. Um, and then kind of after the own goal, the game deflated a little bit, but then you could see Manchester United doing a little bit of the same thing back to Tottenham. Um, yeah. But overall, it kind of it it ended up not being that interesting of a game. And would you chalk that up more to just the opening day rust, maybe new signing chemistry problems, or or what do you think? I think that's the only way to explain it. Um, I think it was well. The first twenty minutes were pretty interesting, and I was shocked to see. Spurs come right out of the gate and look very strong and very organized. They kept their shape very well, and they were the team that was moving the ball forward. Um, there was really not a lot of talk about Tottenham in over the summer, and they didn't make uh, really any interesting moves in the transfer market. They have almost the exact same lineup that they had last season. Yeah. So it was an interesting matchup in that regard, and that Spurs were showing up with the same squad that they had last year versus United, which was introducing a number of new key players like Morgan Schneiderlin and Memphis Depay and uh, this uh, guy this ter- guy from Torino and the defense, what's his name? Um, uh, Darmian? Yeah, Darmian. So, um, and not only that, but they're putting Wayne Rooney back into his old position of you know, central striker, which he hasn't really been playing for the last two or three seasons with Robin Van Persie on the lineup. Yeah. So these squads... Both, like you were saying, in the last two or three years have kind of transformed uh, due to each having a hugely monumental event happening. Uh, when, when Alex Ferguson left United, the club essentially fell apart. Um, 
and when David Moyes became the manager, and then Spurs when they sold Gareth Bale, that's that team also fell apart. So now what we're getting with United and Spurs are two teams that have gone through this rebuilding phase and now have certain expectations to get back where they were prior to these these events. Uh, yeah, and they both kind of share a very similar DNA, the sort of, you know, possession-oriented, almost, I mean, I'd say Dutch style of football, but I'm just, you know, leaning on the fact that Louis van Gaal is the head coach of uh, Manchester United there. Sure, it's it's a total football sort of approach where they're going to play it out of the back, and you could see it particularly um, how United lined up. They had two holding midfielders playing in front of the defense with Michael Carrick and Morgan Schneiderlin, so, which to me seemed a little bit like overkill. Um, and when you look at United having as much trouble getting the ball into the final third as they did, and they were sitting a little too deep, but I think the logic there is the the two holding midfielders are linking the attacking players, and they're basically just like filling up as much space as possible on the field. Mm-hmm. And also that the, I think they would expect more offense to be coming from the left back and the right back going forward, kind of stretching the field a little bit more and and pushing some of those defensive responsibilities onto Michael Carrick and Schneiderlin. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, Ashley Young, uh, not to get too sidetracked from the game, is a guy who really came out of himself last season and uh, was a real workhorse for United. He was able to attack, and he worked so hard to get back and defend, so he fits so well into that system, even though everyone kind of loves to hate him, including me. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, both teams shared, I mean, this is according to the ESPN stats, you know, exactly 50% possession of the ball. Um, and, And I think maybe that leaned a little bit heavy one way early for Tottenham, you know, at the, kind of at the beginning of the game, at the end of the game, and then Manchester United kind of through the middle. Um, but but I think both teams had the, like these real great moments, but there was just something that they weren't able to, just they weren't able to break through or, or stay consistent. I mean, there was the moment where Harry Kane chips the ball over the back line and Christian Eriksen runs onto it and, you know, should have slotted that ball. Yeah, absolutely. That was a huge mischance there. And then you've got the... Uh, so I want to ask you a little bit about Louis van Gaal not celebrating the uh, the score for Manchester United. It wasn't necessarily a goal from the run of play. It was an own goal from Tottenham's defender, Kyle Walker. But it just really rubbed me the wrong way that he just kind of <laughs> sat there with like a sourpuss face and just like just still unhappy despite the fact that, you know, scoring a goal, even an own goal, it means that you're holding possession. It means that you're you're pressing the attack and that you're doing everything right. And there he is just like doing his best Jose Mourinho impression. Well, I, I think the goal in Louis van Gaal's defense came at an awkward time in the game. It was what, like in the 20-something minute. That's a part, a period of the game where a goal isn't potentially going to change the balance of play, particularly when these teams were so evenly matched. Probably more so, though, as Louis van Gaal was just sort of a, a towering, imposing figure, and it seems to be very important to him that people revere him and respect him. Mm-hmm. So here he is at Old Trafford at his home field in front of their home fans, the very first fixture of the Premier League season, and his team is getting taken to task in the opening 20 minutes. He's probably not feeling very positive about how things are going. 
uh, on the verge of being embarrassed by his own team. So then the goal, the own goal goes in by Walker, and I think in Louis Van Gaal's eyes, things sort of got, uh, got balanced again. Yeah. So that he was probably more relieved than um, elated, if you know what I'm saying. And him celebrating would probably just make him look weak, frankly. Yeah, I guess I guess I see what you're saying, but my thinking is kind of maybe from more of a player's perspective is like, don't you want to play for a guy with with a bit of passion? Aren't those the kind of leaders that you know generically we follow into war or we follow into a, a, a sporting field? Somebody that that kind of like lives and dies and can inspire the team with his own sort of charisma. And, and sure. not, not to say that he does not. He's not. I mean, this is this. He's a he's a pretty wacky dude with his own kind of level of charisma, but. It just really something really rubbed me the wrong way about this whole this whole thing, and I can I can just see United now like if they well, don't so do you, get so off you, to a hot start, maybe you know maybe he loses the locker room. I, I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree. Um, I mean, would you prefer a guy like Tim Sherwood for Aston Villa, who basically ripping his shirt off and fist pumping <laughs> uh, all the way down the sideline every time his team scores an inconsequential goal? <laughs> I think so. I think I'd rather have that guy than the than the sort of smart pseudo intellectual kind of sitting there and, and pondering and over managing the game. Yeah, I think it's a it's a bigger question, but it probably depends on what kind of team you have or what the what manager what managerial style works best. Yeah. But I think Louis Van Gaal, he you, I could see it working where he is the uh ponderous intellectual on the sidelines and then it becomes Wayne Rooney as the captain it becomes his job to win the locker room to rally everyone and when that goal goes in to go nuts and slide on the grass and have everyone do a pile on sounds about right I like that so you know it's a, it's a distribution of responsibility <laughs> if that system doesn't work for you Justin you should go work someplace else so so where does uh, Baston Schweinsteiger's responsibility fit into this Manchester United lineup. He, he came into the game, I think, maybe in the 60th or 70th minute, sort of sort of late in the game. Uh, he's apparently the first German to ever play for Manchester United. Yeah, isn't United. that a crazy stat? Does that stat mean anything at all? Or, I mean, uh, I, I feel like it has some sort of political meaning, and I, and I don't want to grasp and try to find it. Like if we're looking back at the World Wars, that sort of political meeting? Possibly. You said it, not me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was one of the more um, head-scratching signings of the season. And <clears throat> I wondered if it was one of those um, grandstand signings of saying, we're united and we're going to poach a midfielder from Bayern Munich, one of the most massive European clubs going right now. And that's sort of a statement of purpose. And the conventional wisdom which Feinsteiger is, is winding down his career, even though I just looked up, I had forgotten how old he was. And he's 31 years old. So technically he's not that old, even though we were saying before we started recording that the dude, you know, with his full head of gray hair <laughs> looks like he's pushing, you know, uh, 50 or 60. Yeah, he's still about two or three seasons away from moving over to NYCFC. <laughs> But maybe it's maybe it's a project for Louis Van Gaal. If he can get Schweinsteiger motivated and if he can fit him into the system, you look at a guy who is actually much older than Schweinsteiger, Michael Carrick, who oddly was a player last season who, without him, United just couldn't seem to win a game. Um, if he's 
if he's going to really uh, lurch into retirement this season, then Schweinsteiger could be a huge signing for them. So it, so he was he's substituted in in the 60th. Schweinsteiger substituted in in the 60th minute for Michael Carrick. That could be your indicator that that's a serious signing, and Louis Van Gaal is easing Schweinsteiger into a starting role in that holding midfield. Mm-hmm. It also and, seems like a good signing for Champions League depth now that Manu is back into European football. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I guess now that they are uh, playing Champions League, they do need. They do need that rotation option on the bench. And so what did you think of the other debut signing for Man U that we haven't talked about yet, Memphis Depay? And then as he would like to be referred to, simply Memphis, which I think is, is I don't think, I have a real problem with, with people dictating what they want to be called. I mean, I guess that's that's a pretty backwards way of thinking, but I just it, it reminds me of the time that Sergio Aguero you know, changed his, uh, the name on his uniform to Kun Aguero, I think, in honor of one of his family members. Mm-hmm. But yet, everyone still called him Sergio Aguero, and they still do to this day. It's a little bit like the XFL, isn't it? Where you have players who are like, um, I mean, I can't remember. What, you would remember their names. Uh, what? Uh, he Hate Me, right? He Hate Me, or some guy with just some dollar signs on the back of his jersey. <laughs> I, I kind of agree with you. I don't, I don't know how old school it makes us sound, but there should be rules about these things. Like, on a, on a Premier League jersey, and I'm pretty sure all other uh, professional leagues have the same policy, at least soccer leagues, you have to have every team in the league has to use the same font mm-hmm. on the back. It's sort of like a license plate in a state. The state dictates what color uh, license plates you're going to have just to make it easier for the police to read them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is just me shooting from the <laughs> hip, but I assume that's the same logic. Uh, for for the fonts in the back of your jerseys, but yeah. So listen, it, it, the rule should be your last name. Now, I, far be it from us to tell various cultures what constitutes a last name. So maybe that's where we get into trouble. True, true, indeed. Although I I imagine that the Dutch are pretty similar to us, but but uh, I, we digress too much. Let's let's move to his uh, his play in the game. He was kind of a little bit absent. Um, I think he took a. I'm not sure if he took a free kick, but I know he took a couple of shots from about 30 yards that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, the talk of Memphis Depay is he's the sort of guy, if you get him the ball in striking position, he's going to take a shot, which is really exciting. And everyone's really looking forward to how he's going to shape up this season. And I agree, you didn't see much of that in this game against Spurs, probably down to a combination of nerves and him just not being used to the Premier League. I mean, let's not forget that he's coming from the Dutch League, which is famously just like... Uh, it's a goal uh, scorer. Bush, Bush League. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Josie Altador being uh, public enemy number one as far as that that goes. But I, I, I do think you saw signs of it. He was able to receive the ball in good positions, but then he just seemed to not threaten once he got the ball down to him probably thinking about what he was going to do a little too much. Yeah, I think he's just playing a little bit outside of himself. So I think what he'll, he will improve. He'll get the flow of the squad he's playing with, and he'll also just learn to, hey, I'm just going to get the ball, turn and shoot. He reminded me a little bit of the way that Alexis Sanchez started the season last year for Arsenal. You know, kind of, he, he's just such a different player than, the, than Arsenal had on that team, just the, the style and the way that he kind of drifts all over the field and 
you know, he kind of starts to look like a ball hog at some at some points, and I think I'm on record on this podcast of saying that earlier uh, in in our run, but he just finds a way to be in the right space for goals or take those incredible shots. And then like, once they start going in, you know, everyone's raving about how great of a, you know, a attacking midfielder he is. And so I think, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's just a matter of time until he sort of figures out the right way to play with Juan Mata and Wayne Rooney. And then we're just going to see Man U go on a tear. Yeah. I, I definitely wonder where it's going to leave Wayne Rooney. Like you were saying, Rooney is now back into playing in the, the number nine striker position. Uh, and really didn't look exceptionally um, uh, he didn't look great in this game he yeah. did find him out, find himself in good positions he almost uh, connected with that great overhead kick later in the game uh, but I, I guess just because it's the first game I would chalk that up to a little bit of team chemistry and a little bit of nerves so uh, it would be sensational for United if Depay and Rooney could work out some sort of partnership. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's let's shift the focus a little bit to kind of you know the attacking uh, midfielders and forwards for Tottenham. Uh, I thought Harry Kane and Christian Eriksen looked pretty good in this game, not throughout the entire thing, but but they had some moments where where they looked like they had some real chances to score and some good creativity with the ball. Do you think Tottenham has a chance to kind of fight for a top four position this year? Or is this just more of the same old Spurs? I really doubt they'll be challenging for the top four. They'll, I mean, I think they'll do as well as they've done the last uh, season and a half or so, given that they do have the same squad going into this season. They just didn't do anything in the off season to excite me or to cover the cracks in that squad that were showing last season. Like, they're still starting Nabil Bentaleb in the holding midfield <laughs> uh, area, and he was getting a lot of stick uh, from the commentators and people tweeting during the game. But he's just, he's young, but he's just a little too slight, and he doesn't have the best decision-making. So I guess it is telling that he was uh, subbed out for Ryan Mason early in the second half. But then they're also starting Moussa Dembele. Now, I have a soft spot, soft spot for Dembele because... Uh, I'm a Fulham fan, and Musa came <laughs> up through the ranks there, and he looked, he looked great uh, w- at his peak at Fulham. He, he was just always one of the biggest guys on the field, and he has great, he has a great control over the ball, but again, a little bit like Bentaleb, the decision making when when it comes do- time to really strike, might not be there, and. He, he's just too sleepy for a team that wants to play as fast as the Spurs do. I feel like he's a bit of a poor man's Yaya Torre in the style that he should be playing on this I game. think you're, that's a good call. That is a great call. So, And then the other guys like Eric Lamella, who subbed in for Dembele, that guy's just such a chump. And <laughs> he, he, he doesn't, he, I just don't see that he has what it takes to play at that Yeah, I mean, this, is, this is his second full season at Tottenham, I think. And mm-hmm. he, was, he was one of the, you know, the bumper crop of signings that, that they used the Gareth Bale money for. Yeah, so um, he's one of the few that are still around him and uh, Ericsson. And, but yeah, like, like you're saying, it's just, I mean, I don't know how much he played in this game, maybe like 20 minutes max, but yeah. Yeah, just nothing, I think there's nothing there. I think there's nothing there for Eric. Uh, the only thing I remember of him in the game is him probably uh, crying to the referee about some call and throwing the ball on the ground. 
But, uh, I mean, all this vitriol aside, I thought Eric's, like you were saying, Erickson and Kane looked pretty good as they typically do. And er Erickson did his usual thing where he looks great in the opening uh, forays and then he goes completely missing for 50 minutes and then shows up at the end of the game. But Harry Kane, I think, is the biggest bright spot here in that this is just going to be such a high-pressure season for him to repeat uh, the epic season he had last year. Mm -hmm. And people will be expecting him to, you know, really struggle to uh, score more than 12 or 15 goals this season. But he looked really, he looked as sharp as he did last season here uh, against United. And uh, Nasser Chadley, too. Um, even though he's got the uh, the god awful man bun now, uh, <laughs> he looked good. He played the full ninety minutes. He was you know he was a fantasy manager's worst nightmare last year in that he would always end up with the goal, but he was never guaranteed to start the game, and he'd always get subbed out at some point in the second half. Yeah, but uh, I do think that uh, a key to Spurs' success this season is going to come down to how well Chadley plays. So I see that like triumvirate there, Erickson, Chadley, and Kane being really key. Yeah, and I think their defense didn't look too bad in, in this game. I mean, Manchester United has some great offensive weapons, and they were able to get just one shot on goal, which I think was an Ashley Young shot, and you know, not even the goal of the game from them. Um, and so I, I can see that I can see them maybe buckling down and becoming a pretty good defensive team this season, and then beating up on some of the lesser opponents, and and maybe you know maybe threatening for fourth or fifth, but but never quite getting there, like you said earlier. Yeah, I agree. The defense looked good, and I I, I was saying earlier how Spurs didn't really make any interesting signings over the summer, but in fact they signed Toby Alderweireld from Southampton who is a great central defender and does well to get forward, too. So he is a great partnership there with Vertonghen, and that central defense has been um, a weak spot for Spurs for a few seasons now. They had uh, Kirikesh uh, last season, who was sort of struggling, and the uh, wonderfully named Stromboli. <laughs> Uh, and those guys just never quite took. So that's that is a great signing for them. Um, yeah, he had they, just he had just as many shots on goal as uh, the entire Manchester United squad. Yeah, so good on him. <laughs> well, so let's uh, let's shift away from from this you know sleeper of a game here. I think we've devoted enough time to it, uh, and I just kind of want to use the rest of this podcast to preview the Premier League. Um, what other games did you watch this weekend? And, you know, which clubs are you looking forward to following and, and which will you do your best to ignore uh, as much as you can? <laughs> um, well, this weekend was a little tricky. Uh, I mean, for all of us, for uh, Premier League fans in general, the first day of the season, it's like Christmas morning. I know for you, it's like it was Christmas a very, evening. Yeah, it was a very early Christmas morning. I, I woke up at 4.45 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, and I and I pulled out my little tablet and I queued up the Man U game to watch. And then I, you know, what? I, there was a moment in the middle of the game where I thought, "Fuck it, I'm gonna fall asleep here and just forget it." Uh, yeah. But it was only a one-goal game, and that kind of kept me, despite despite the fact that yeah. nothing else interesting happened. I I couldn't yeah, possibly so, have gone back to bed. <laughs> that's what's so great about the league, right? Is you just never know when an actual game is gonna break out, particularly when it is one nothing. 
Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, it was tricky for me because I was actually up in the Catskills for a bachelor party, and we were in a rental with seven guys, half of which were Premier League fans. The other half <laughs> uh, were fans of... Uh, not watching sports on television. <laughs> so imagine you're out, you're you're out in this beautiful country Nerds, of access yeah. to an in, in ground. Well, they wanted to get outside. They wanted to go swimming in the pool, uh, all and 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 the like. But here we are, wanting to sit on the couch and get three iPads going at the same time during the ten o'clock round. If you're on Eastern <laughs> time round of fixtures, so I was at, I was in in spite of that able to watch a number of games. So we watched the United Spurs game. And then um, everyone was really excited to uh, welcome Bournemouth into the Premier League. Right, they've got such a great story coming up from League Two over you know the course of the last few years. Yeah, and just from a sports television ac- uh, aspect, I wanted to see how NBC or the whatever feed NBC gets from the Premier League, how they were going to shoot a, a nationally televised game from a, a stadium as small as Bournemouth has. <laughs> Which seats just over eleven thousand five hundred. I did. I didn't get to watch that one. Can you kind of describe for the listener a little bit what that looked like? Uh, it looked a little bit like watching an NYC FC game on TV, where it was just kind of like a weird, awkward lower angle that made the field look smaller than it actually is. Uh, but it, it was it was fine. Um, so we had that one on the big screen and. I thought I thought the cherries looked decent, however slow, a little off the pace. I think they were very lucky to be matched up with Aston Villa on the opening day. I mean, had they played, say, Manchester City, they would have got completely waxed. Mm-hmm. But uh, Villa, for their part, looked looked pretty decent. And then on the side screens, we had Norwich City, Everton, and um, Watford, Everton. Watford Everton, yeah, yes, yeah. Of course, we Norwich was the one game we didn't queue up. Well, that's 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 good because that's the other game that I decided to watch, and I don't know if it's just sort of my my fascination with with Alan Pardew and kind of how his his teams are, you know, kind of these. Uh, let's I want I want to call them like they're almost like live by the three, die by the three basketball teams, except yeah. except the soccer version of of whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, and I'm kind of fascinated by their their signing of Johan Kabai in you know central midfield, uh, combined with wingers uh, as as pacey as Yannick Balassi and, and Wilfred Zaha on one side and, and Jason Punchin on the other side. And, and so I don't know. I was, for some reason, that game and also seeing seeing the Norwich City, seeing the Canaries again, who we haven't seen for for a season now, um, which is pretty much the same team that got relegated two years ago. So. <laughs> Yeah, so they'll, they'll, they'll who knows be just how fine. that'll do. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I kind of I enjoyed watching that game, and I think my I don't know if I want to call them a sleeper pick, but their team I think I'm gonna tune in for a, a few more times this season than last season is Norwich Crystal, or Crystal Palace. Crystal, Crystal Palace, yeah. I totally agree with you. Uh, that Kabai signing is kind of a stroke of genius, and it's a real statement of purpose by whoever's running things over there. If it's Alan Pardew, if it's their board or whatever, but. That signing basically says we're in the Premier League for the long haul. Uh, assuming Kabai performs, which he obviously did over the weekend. So, yeah, they've got a lot of attacking power. Uh, I think they'll do pretty well. And I guess I was just excited to watch. I don't know if I was excited to watch that game because the other games were kind of so just like I was disappointed by the Man U game and then 
you know, later in the afternoon, kind of Chelsea were pretty lucky to earn a draw against Swansea, and Arsenal shit the bed Sunday morning against West Ham, and they sure did, Justin. And Liverpool needed like a, you know, a you know end of the game long strike to to get a win. So well, so just, did did you watch the Chelsea Swansea game? Yes, I did, indeed. See, that was my favorite game uh, by far and away of the weekend. It's definitely the that most was, exciting. It wasn't a yeah. great game per se. The te- technically speaking, uh, uh, it was not a great <laughs> game. But to use that that uh, popular word, it had such terrific narrative going for it. Mm-hmm. What and, What was your favorite part of the narrative of that game? Was it the Was it uh, Thibaut Courtois getting getting the red card? Uh, yeah, I, that whole sequence was really great for so many reasons. First of all, I am a huge John Joe Sel- Shelby booster. So that You're ball... definitely on the record of, of being a big <laughs> John Joe Shelby booster. I'm sure I've said it a million times. You'll say it a million more. So he plays this beautiful ball into Gomez, which leads to the penalty and the uh, Courtois sending off. Uh, so there it is, Shelby uh, playing his role. And then it leads to John Terry going and having some pissing contest with the linesman uh, and getting a yellow card for his efforts. And I assume he's over there chewing out the linesman because they've been complaining, as he and Gary Cahill are very fond of doing, just throwing their hands up at the uh, slightest note of an offside call, um, chewing the linesman out for a botched call and claiming that he'd been botching the calls the entire first half. Then you look at the replay, and William is basically taking a nap about <laughs> 10 feet behind the last defender, which leaves Gomez clearly onside. And I just, I, 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 I want to be there. Not that John Terry would really give a shit, but when he sees the replay and sees that he was out there chewing out the linesman for no good reason, he should have been kneecapping uh, William. Yeah, indeed. I think so I anyway, just... <laughs> I have no great love for Chelsea and, uh, you know, hipster team as it is. Swansea was just so awesome, that game. And there were so many great players to watch. Shelby among them. Montero was, uh, like, clearly the Very winner speedy. of the weekend. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And he was just skinning uh, Ivanovic alive on the wing every time he got the ball. Uh, he could be a superstar this season. I detest Chelsea so much more this year than than I have in in recent history. I mean, there was a moment when, I guess, maybe four four years ago, as I think, when I joined the uh, Always Cheating Fantasy League, I was trying to kind of determine which was the team that I was going to follow, and I settled on Arsenal for you know good or ill. But you know, there was a moment where I was considering Chelsea. They had some interesting players, interesting style. But I detest them with, with such a passion now. And I think it, it starts from the head. It starts from Jose Mourinho and his just kind of sort of obnoxious... Uh, I, don't, I, I, I hate him so much I can't even describe in words what, what bothers me about him. Uh, his, just on just down... Just his gamesmanship? Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so like, annoying. It's just <laughs> smarmy and, and disgusting. Sorry, yeah, I don't, I don't have a huge beef with him. I totally uh, agree with you that he's a little smarmy. I, th- I think it's made worse by how seriously everyone takes him. Yeah. I think half the time he's just taking a piss out of everyone. <laughs> and See, he knows, know if, he, he know knows he that is. people are going to eat it up. 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe we're giving him too much credence, and we should just laugh off the things he does more than, you know, make a story around them. But but from from him on down to sort of the, uh, I don't know, the sort of wishy-washy-ness of, of Chelsea's attacking midfield. Um, yeah, yeah. It- yeah, you do worry about that midfield, and Cesc Fabregas in particular, who set the world on fire the first 15 weeks of last season. Yeah. And his performance against Swansea on Saturday was very reminiscent of how he ended last season with a total whimper. And if he can't get it together, it's going to be very tough for them. And what was interesting about the Chelsea midfield was um, watching Oscar being the just on his face, you could tell he was saying, am I the only one working out here in the Chelsea <laughs> midfield? When he uh, scored that goal off the free kick, he had this look on his face of like, well, somebody had to kick the fucking ball into the <laughs> net. I guess it's going to be me. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Uh, and, yeah, and, and not to mention, not, not to even get into Diego Costa being uh, like the biggest bitch on planet Earth. Yeah. It was at the end of the end of the game, and the ball went out for a throw-in, and one of the Swansea players goes over to retrieve the ball, and Diego Costa, for no reason other than the guy was there, just pushes him with two straight arms. <laughs> just like it was like a muscle memory for him. Yeah, and and you know, not to mention his sort of from a from a fantasy manager's perspective, like, uh, is the hamstring okay or is it not okay? Are you? Does yeah. he even have any? It's hard. To, it's they, nobody knows. Are they made from brittle rubber bands? Uh, so, so yeah. So I mentioned fantasy. We've mentioned the always cheating league a couple of times on the podcast. You have uh, just relaunched the always cheating podcast, which everyone should subscribe to on iTunes. Can you tell us a little bit? Can you just give us a little plug for the podcast? Sure. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, always cheating is the name of the fantasy uh, fantasy Premier League mini league that you and I have been playing for, I've been in, in it for five seasons and you for four now. And I actually started this mini league because I was kind of a fan of the Premier League from a distance. And I realized I didn't have a conversational knowledge of the league. So um, fantasy sports is just like a great immersion process. <laughs> it's a way for you to um, immediately become aware of all the lineups for all the teams and after you after you've been playing for a few seasons you're unconsciously aware of the transfers that are happening uh where players have been uh prior to where they are now and a, a lot of what their stats are so it's just it's a fun way to get involved in the premier league or your league of choice if you're just starting to become a fan so it's been really fun in that sense and uh you see in the UK, the Premier League is obviously a religion, and it's been so for more than a century. And there are a lot of devotees to the league and to fantasy sports. But here in the United States, with NBC really going all out with their coverage of the Premier League, I'm hoping that there is an audience out there in America uh, looking to play the Premier League and looking to find a podcast where two guys, me and my great friend Josh, who is an always cheating champion, our whole our, our current champion of the always cheating mini league. As well as he, a friend of the big game. Yes, he's been on to talk about Wimbledon with you and probably Michigan State football, if I'm not mistaken. It was the uh, college football uh, championship. 
Ohio yeah. State. Yeah. Yeah. He, sadly, he wishes, sadly, he wishes it was Michigan State. <laughs> um, yeah. So he and I, the, the goal of our podcast is just to have fun. It's not meant to be too brainy or too academic, um, but just uh, come for a little bit of, of talk and a little bit of goofing around. And uh, yeah, we hope people enjoy it and we get a little audience. If you go to alwayscheating.com, you can find a link to it. I currently have like virtually no content on that site, but our hope is that we'll get a little bit of a blog going and start a little conversation. And we do have a public uh, FPL League link there on the site that you can go and join the Hail Cheaters uh, Fantasy League if you want to start a team and, and get involved. Fantastic. I highly recommend the podcast and... Joining the uh, Always Cheating Fantasy League was one of the best decisions I've ever made. It's, uh, it's made me way too knowledgeable about the Premier League, and, and it makes me wake up at ungodly times uh, now. But uh, it, it is a great decision. <laughs> and, and, and now that NBC Sports has renewed well, their... Well, it, it, it is a good sport. Just uh, another plug for the Premier League in general. It's a great sport to follow if you live with your partner because it starts very early in the morning, uh, being on Greenwich Mean Time. So all the games are done with time to spare for brunch. So you won't, if your partner's not into it, you won't upset them. You can, you can still have a fulfilling life That's outside good. of the sport. That's a great point. It's the only problem is what happens is when uh, your fandom for the Premier League spreads and then all of a sudden you become uh, an MLS fan or perhaps a Barcelona fan and then, you know, your entire Saturday is fucked. You're screwed. All right, Brandon, well, thank you for coming back to the big game to talk about the Premier League, and uh, I hope you'll be back soon. And in the meantime, everyone can check you out at alwayscheating.com. That's great. Thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, we, co we had to cover a lot of ground here, but uh, I, I hope it was informative. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to the big game. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends about it. Share it. Rate it. Review it. Check out our website biggamepod.com and listen to all of our past episodes including two count them two champions league recaps with today's guest brandon kelly get out there watch some sports play some sports drink some beer live your life tune in next week here on the big game Yeah, what a what a total garbage week, man. A uh, total garbage. Yeah, it, I'm looking forward to next week. That's the problem. Is it's like, well, that one sucks, but you know what? There's another one in seven days. <laughs>